0: Columbine, Fort Hood, Aurora, Orlando, Virginia Tech, Sandy Hook, and now Las Vegas. America, once again, this week, broke a record for the most number of people killed in a mass shooting. My guest today, Dave Cullen, has been writing about these kinds of tragic shootings for almost two decades. He's the author of the book Columbine, which he spent 10 years reporting and writing, which tells the story of that fateful day in 1999 at a Colorado high school. Dave joins me today to explain why these devastating shootings keep happening in America. The kinds of people who decide to murder innocents in such cowardly ways, and why he thinks that eventually these mass shootings could stop happening altogether. Thanks so much, uh, Dave, for joining us. So, uh, you know, this week I woke up um, as as most Americans did, and. and You looked at my phone, and there had been yet another mass shooting in America. You've been, you know, you wrote the book on Columbine. You've been writing about this issue for for almost two decades now. Do these things still shock you? Yes, in in some ways, the the magnitude of this did.
1: In fact, oddly enough, you know, I told a a friend, I had trouble getting my arms around this because it was— it was too much. I couldn't even conceive. When we had over 500 people injured, I mean, I couldn't even yeah. picture that. Uh, although, partly, I guess I, I didn't want to picture that. I kind of refused. But, yeah, it's still, it's still horrifying.
0: So, you, um, the book that you wrote on Columbine, you spent, how many years did you spend reporting that? Well, 10, 10 on the first edition, and then I have sort of kept up,
1: and it was another six years to the... Expanded edition.
0: So, so, do you think that um, uh, that part of uh, um, part of what we see in these mass shootings is a result of the mass shootings before um, that? Uh, it seems like a good idea because some lunatic sees some other lunatic who's done it and so on and so forth or, or are these kind of more isolated or what, what's your theory given given what you know it, about all it, these it, things?
1: It's definitely self-propagating if you want to call it that. It's um, <clears throat> it, it, it builds on its own fuel and and for a while, there was some dissent about that with sort of the mental health experts I talked to, criminologists, some FBI profilers who are retired now, who I confer with on all these things, and they weren't kind of sure, but then the, what really was convincing to just about everybody who's involved in this is the fact that they copy each other. And actually, in the um, – I should have pulled this up, but in, in the epilogue, I, I went through some, some of the last – just a few years um, – Got about a, ten different examples in just the two years prior to me doing that. So going about the last three years, um, most of those people are referencing Columbine specifically. In either, God, I hate to say this, but since they are performances, the costumes they do, the the methods. Some actually choosing the same day anniversaries in some way, and then writing about it specifically, naming Columbine and or. Uh, the two Columbine killers uh, in their manifestos or their other descriptions of what they're doing, um, and then mimicking those attacks. And when not Columbine specifically, they're almost always citing and mimicking the ones before, and and you can see it in what they're doing. And um, you can see the fact that this is, you know... I've been railing this week against scorekeeping and, you know, calling this, um, you know, awarding them this medal or this guy, this medal is the, you know, the deadliest shooting in modern American history, whatever we're calling it. Um, It's not surprising that we keep breaking these records. You know, and I saw somebody tweeting this afternoon, actually, um, you know, so... uh, the, the biggest one and, and Columbine is barely on the list anymore because they keep dwarfing each other. And that's not a coincidence. They are, they, a template has been created largely by Columbine. That's what sort of put this on the map as a thing to imitate and a way to gain a sense of notoriety as, um, and, and a sense of, you know, stature as sort of an anti-hero or whatever you want to call it. Um, and since then, it's become a thing, and the more gruesome it gets, the, the more it keeps going. And I'll just uh, I'll throw out one other aspect of that. I, you know, I, I pointed out a couple of years ago, and I've written and talked a lot about this, that it's become very clear, and the killers have figured out, that there are two ways to sort of become star of the week, media star of the week. Um, because, by the way, there are so many of these that we barely hear about, and most yeah. of them barely even make the national news, or it's just an incidental uh, thing. A small number became the, become this massive story, and of course, the media runs only kind of on two speeds, we're all it or not. But yeah. the way you become this massive star of the week, you have to do one of two things you either do something really original and creative, and I hate to put it in those terms, but that's exactly it. It's a performance, and you've got to be a creative performance where you do something new and novel, or you break some records. And best case, if you do both, then you're, just, you're, you're golden for the media and you're a media star for the week. And the killers figured that out long before the rest of us have.
0: So when I, one of the things that's so frustrating – to me, um, I grew up in England. We did not deal with these issues ever. Yeah. Um, you know, there was right. no uh, g- there was no gun violence. Um, right. was, well, you, you had know, one. You had the uh, was it Dunblane or uh, in Scotland? So it
1: wasn't England, but in the UK, you had that. You, you're sort of one horrible. I mean, we one was, we, we, if, we did have our in issues.
0: You know, I grew up in England during the IRA bombings, but even then, it was sure, it yeah. was it was um, nothing nothing like this ever. Sure, um, yeah. And And um, and the the thing that I I can't get my head around is the, the, the response by pro gun NRA Fox news and so on and so forth that we, a can't talk about it right now. We're not allowed to, which I think is just complete and utter nonsense, but b that, that, um, that, that they feel uh, the need to kind of, it's almost like they're defending the people who did the thing uh, because guns are more important than, they're not being guns. Did do, do, do you? I mean, you must have spoken to people at these at these institutions at the N.R.A. and things like that. Did they feel any kind of remorse or sadness or or anything when these things happen?
1: Now that they're expressing, you know, I, I I don't know what's going on in their head or their heart or whether they're conflicted. Um, but if they're not, they have definitely made a decision not to uh, let on any of that. And um, yeah. He, To me, it's it's a it's a matter of priority, and um, I mean maybe that's kind of a it's a inexact word for it, or it's not not a big enough word. But it's sort of like you know, like uh, you know, you've got a loved one who's dying of cancer, and you can help them, but you don't because you know I don't know you've got some paperwork to fill out for work. I mean, it's sort of that sort of like ridiculous preposterous like really that's your priority where okay i understand you want to hunt and you want to be able to have um guns and you know fire them off it can be fun to go uh shooting them off i get that uh but that balanced against this massive priority of you know of people dying uh over and over and all of us at being at risk um sort of, you know, the unwillingness to have any of your own joy uh, be sort of maybe constricted a little bit, uh, again, it's just unfathomable to me uh, why they aren't willing to, you know, we all have to make sacrifices about different things. And like, okay, so a little of your, you know, your sport, uh, maybe you can't do everything you want. And you can still hunt for a deer with a rifle. But, you know, I mean, basic things like, you know, you don't need a fifty-round magazine or hundred, you know, any of these sort of really large magazines to do that. You know, no one is shooting that
0: many times at a deer, d- or d- you need a new hobby. D- um, do they think? You know, do they think that um, that that by by do they truly believe that that Americans should be able to have a fifty-round, hundred-round rag- magazine, or do they think that if they give just an inch to you know the Democrats and that the want to, I know, think
1: it's more of the latter. I mean, there are definitely some people who are like, you know, what, I'm. I'm going to have what I want and, you know, I don't, I don't care. And you're, you know, nobody's going to tell me what not to have. Um, you know, there's some of those, but I think the larger, I think the larger chunk, you know, and I, I don't know these people as well as, as, as some others, but I, I have a feeling that if you ask them what's in their heart and if you could s- somehow assure them, you know, if God could step in and say like, look, if you give in on the magazines, we won't do anything else that, I have a feeling most of them would say, Okay, that's that's pretty reasonable, we'll do that. But uh but no one can make that assurance and um, you know, to some degree they, they might be right. I mean part of, you know, politics is a momentum game too. And uh you know, we shouldn't even be admitting this out loud, but sometimes, you know, uh the, the 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 gun safety side has really been stymied partly because so many of us are just distraught and have sort of given up really um mm. and don't vote on this issue and don't even fight as much because because we always lose and it just feels like pounding our head against a brick wall and i think if we were to make some sort of incremental gains and start you know getting some sensible things that everybody sort of sort of agrees with that may create a, a certain amount of momentum so you know from a practical point of view i mean i can't lie and yeah. uh you know, the, the, they they may have some uh, validity, but, but, you know, so what? So, you know, what I would say to them is like, you know, if you have your line here and here's where you think it should be, and we get some momentum at safety and push a little past that line, you know, slightly into your comfort zone, big, big deal. Deal with it. You know, and we save, you know... Uh, untold number of lives because we encroach a little bit. You know, we're not going to take away all the guns. That that's never going away. The Second Amendment's not going away. So some slight encroachment. Just come on, deal with it. There, there's other bigger things at stake. It's not all about you. Is what, what I would what I would say to those people. Um, so
0: what, So you? So since you wrote the Columbine book, um, which is an incredible, incredible uh, 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 book, and really kind of. Uh, unravels the entire thing. I'm sure that you get a lot of um, emails and letters from people. Um, Is it on both sides of the issue that people write to you? And if so, what are the kind of things that they say? What, do you mean on both sides of the gun issue? Yeah, I mean, are there people that, that, you know, staunch Second Amendment rights folks that read the book and and contact you? Or is it mostly people? No, no,
1: I get hardly any of that. But, you know, partly... (laughs) I didn't go into
0: a lot of that in the book.
1: I mean, for for me the book was primarily it was a psychological study, you know, I mean in, in layman, in storytelling, but you know, not an academic, but it was it was an inquiry into really two things of, you know, what drove these killers. And I say this all the time, is why I wrote the book and what it's about really is, that, you know, what drove these killers, these two boys to do this? And then what did it do to this community? What happened, you know? And I, I it took me ten years to do the book partly, sort of to get some distance on it and to sort of figure it out and sort through it and, and research it and all. But part of it I realized as I was doing it like I needed ten years to like sort of get to maybe not an ending point the ending point, but a far enough into the future of of after ten years, what had become of these people? You know when I first started the book a year out i didn 't realize the time well you know their story not only wasn 't done it really hadn't reached its climax. And so we didn't know it was going to become of these people. But anyway, so most of what I was interested in was the point of view of what's it like to be a survivor, to go through something like this, and then, you know, what drives the killers. So um, actually, so most of the mail I get, I still, you know, kids, tons of schools are using it. And what I hear from most often is kids who are reading and sort of fascinated by this. And they're sort of inquisitive. I actually, you know, I'm, I'm glad to say that I don't get a lot of... Um, you know, angry male, It's much more inquisitive, except for with a huge thing. I have a there's a huge stalker community of these kids uh, call themselves uh, the true crime community who idolize killers and you know, especially a, a huge number of females who idolize them. And there's communities for each one of these notorious murderers. He is mm-hmm. mostly high school kids really pretending, I believe, mm-hmm. trying to show that they're cool. Um, and so I'm sort of enemy number one with them. So I get all sorts of, you know, derogatory, I've got to, to block literally hundreds of them a week on all these different sites. And occasionally I get death threats. I've had, I get a couple credible death threats a year that I have an FBI agent assigned to my case to, Look into them, um, but aside from sort of those outliers, you know, most of the people aren't arguing with me about guns or anything else. They're they're wanting to understand more, and they have questions about you know, clarifying like what's going on in these people's heads, what happened with this person, and it's that. So, which is kind of nice of people just who sort of like uh, hungry to know more. So, so, so thank God so for you that. Th-
0: you mentioned that um, that you you know you, you wanted to get into the mind of some of the survivors and I, you know, one of the, I mean, the 59 people who passed away, who were killed 58, actually people who were, who were killed. And, um, uh, you, you know, it, it's gotta be incredibly devastating for the families. I can't even comprehend where people even begin. And, and then over 500 injured, um, in Vegas. Um, what is, you know, I look at the videos of what happened there, and it looks like a war zone, and I can't imagine that every single person at that concert doesn't have PTSD from that moment. It's, is this something that these people have to live with for the rest of their life? Is it something that that kind of goes away a little bit? Like, what is it like for, for the people who who make it through something sure. like Sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's what I was really, really fascinated by and curious about, um... And it's always, you know, the short answer is always with them. Um, well, I'll tell you, in the, in the case of Columbine, uh, most of them were sort of able to put it behind them and deal with them, and, and, and some still struggle with it. You know, in that particular case, I mean, there was a sort of 2,000 kids in the school, roughly, and the day after was really, really shocking for me because I was up there the afternoon it happened, the first hour, and Day two was so drastically different than day one and was, for me, so much worse, which surprised me. So, you know, the first day was just horrifying out there and... um it, but it was exactly what you would kind of expect the survivors. It was pandemonium. It was crying, um, you know, just sobbing, yelling when people would sort of reunite with each other and come running toward a, each other and like hugging so much, hugging and, and clenching and just sort of trying to squeeze it out of them. So there were no surprises to me at all that day. And, you know, I slept not enough and came, went back out uh, to the high school in Clement Park, uh, this big park surrounding the school in the morning and well first the light of the world church is where they have this big first sort of gathering and i was stunned because it was comp- they had literally changed overnight and almost all the kids uh just had these vacant stares um like they had been shell-shocked just you know psychologists describe it as a blank effect um And, you know, not kids here. there are almost nobody. I didn't see anybody crying. And the boys were worse than the girls. They were just like walking zombies. And, you know, my first struggle as a reporter was I was just insanely curious to talk to them about it and see what was going on and see how they felt about it. Um, And see if, you know... Their version of it was what I was observing, and I didn't know how. I didn't want to be this, you know, dick reporter who comes up, you know, and psychoanalyzes them or something. So, um, actually, I I first did it by walking up to a group of boys and sort of blaming on other boys and saying, like, you know, those guys over there, like, look like, you know, I'm not seeing anybody, like emoting or crying at all and they just were so happy to talk about it and from then on I talked about the kids all day long they had almost nobody had slept and they could tell you when um, they had stopped crying and stopped feeling because for most of them it was like a light switch that went off at like 3 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever they went from sobbing and everything to nothing and like in all of them something just switched off where they hit overload and that's really why I knew that I was going to spend quite a while on this story, um, because I had to know what was going to become from, become of them. And I'm, I'm happy to tell you that for a lot of them, it took more than five years. I would say about probably eight-year point. Most of them had reached a plateau where – they didn't even want to talk about it with their friends anymore at reunions. That They tell me, like, we're sick of even talking about it amongst ourselves. And yeah. they'd sort of gotten through it and put it behind them, never completely. It was You know, they, they say, like, it'll always be a part of my life. It's something that happened to me, something awful. But they were able to deal with it. Um, it was the parents who had more difficulty. The parents of the injured and especially the killed who some of them have never gotten over it oh, and sure yeah. yeah so you know we're dealing with an interesting cohort there with these were high school kids uh, you know obviously haven't studied yeah, i've studied so many of these killings but not in, in remotely the same depth so i don't know if these people who are of various different ages 20s 30s 50s 70s you know whatever if you if kids are more resilient and these other people may grapple with it longer, um, but I, I, you know, what I can tell you from talking to a lot of psychologists and trauma experts over the years, is like <clears throat> most people won't have PTSD, even in a war zone. Um, it's a minority of the people who have ptSD and but it 's actually a larger group then that have depression, which is something shy of PTSD, but is obviously difficult as well. so you have a, a large group typically that has the, the somewhat milder symptoms of depression, and then you know single digits ish uh, typically who you know have you know severe enough to be called ptSD so some of these people that's going to be with them for life. Most probably not, I guess would be sort of, you know, based on on what I know of
0: what's likely to happen, which, you know, sort of good news, bad news thing. This is
1: Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton.
0: I want to take a minute to thank my sponsor, ProFlowers, which I've been using on a weekly basis myself. The ProFlowers site is incredibly easy to use, and they pretty much have flowers for every single occasion and even non-occasions, like the fall or just to tell someone that you're thinking of them. Pro Flowers has a ton of amazing features that you just can't get on other floral services. Their bouquets are guaranteed to stay fresh for at least seven days, or they'll give you your money back. You can control the delivery date of the person who gets them. The stems are longer. The roses are fuller. I could just keep going on and on about this. They have so many special bouquets right now for the full, including their best-selling cinnamon cider roses. And no, you cannot eat those. This week, ProFlowers is giving listeners of Inside the Hive a 20% off any ProFlowers unique bouquets that they cost over $29 or more. To get that special 20% off, all you need to do is go to ProFlowers.com and use the code Hive. That's H-I-V-E at checkout. Once again, go to ProFlowers.com and use the code Hive at checkout. So uh, one of the things that, I mean, I, I you know, it's, it's pretty insane that we that this happens and continues to happen and continues to happen and continues to happen. Do you think it is ever going to change or is this just America?
1: You know, I think it is going to change. I mean, we tend to go through, I I don't know what is going to put an end to it. i you know, in, in the seventies, remember we, we thought, remember hijacking was a huge thing that seemed like it was going to go on forever. And that was, um, You know, the closest thing to come to mind, which was also a self-fulfilling thing, where, you know, people saw how sort of successful it was at at their agendas, and that kept getting bigger and bolder, and they're doing more of it until we, you know, uh, uh, took, you know, sort of drastic steps against it. In this case, I don't know what the way out is. Um, I just... I, I, I do believe that these things do tend to sort of work themselves out and have, I, but I, I think the single biggest thing is going to be the media stop giving them the fuel and sort of suck some of the oxygen out of it. And we're finally starting to see that. I've been really shocked to see some network anchors kind of on the defensive and say, oh, we're not naming him anymore. And things that were just a couple of years ago, uh, that nearly all the media, when a handful of us, you know, me, Anderson Cooper, Megyn Kelly, uh, were saying, you know, stop naming the people and be very much, you know, more discriminating against, you know, using that in the images of the killers, now it's becoming not completely done, but a mainstream idea and, and actually people sort of expecting that, you know, maybe we do need some, some limits on this, um, are hearing much more about, you know, not scorekeeping, and hopefully we're beginning a conversation of, um, of doing less wall-to-wall coverage. Now, I think, I, you know, I heard a, a great trick I already forgot his name, uh, this morning on CNN sort of complaining about the wall-to-wall coverage and treating them like a celebrity. And um, the anchor uh, was pushing back and saying, well, we're just reporting. And I'm kind of with him, like, I want to know what we've learned about this guy, but well, we may get it, like two or three scraps of information
0: today. Yeah, that's, and so, that's the part. That's, if we're talking about it
1: literally 24 hours today. Well, it's also, it's like,
0: most- yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, I understand that we need to know what the motive was. And by learning mm-hmm. the motive, we can, maybe we can avoid it from happening again, although. That doesn't seem to be the the case from the past, but but I I get that concept. But you know, it's like yesterday. You know, the shooter's the killer's girlfriend lands in L.A. There's literally you know helicopters hovering over as the cars driving. It's it's and we and we're not going to find anything out about about that um, that meeting with the FBI that she had for a while. And so it's it's I, I don't understand the 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 wall to wall coverage either. Do you think that the media? I mean, exactly. is this is this is just as much, and I do believe the media plays a huge role in this. But I'm curious what your thoughts are as someone who's been covering this so long. Um, is part of it just as much this 24-hour news cable cycle media nonsense that and, and coverage um, that has kind of led to some of these some of these events?
1: Yeah, I really think it is. I think it's the way that we make this person <clears throat> the star of the week, where it is wall to wall and and they dominate everything i think it should be uh obviously a big story it should be like the lead story that first day and then there should be you know reports as things develop as we actually learn things and you know not feeling which you know with actual news each day what we have might fill 20-30 minutes And not the other twenty-three hours, and you know, of course, I fully support stories on the victims and so forth. Um, But you know, we can go back to these other stories as well. What the media loves is a sensational story, and and it becomes the sort of self-fulfilling thing for them too. Where as a viewer, and I, you know, I don't know about you, but I know about me is like like I keep tuning in because like oh, what is the latest thing? What is the latest thing? You know, I don't want to miss something. Or as if, you know, I'm just throwing out ideas here. If they had a one-hour show each evening with the recap of what had happened that day, or you probably didn't really fill an hour. You know, if they did, you know, a 30-minute show each night, or, you know, each hour they had a five-minute thing, you know, then I would know, like, okay, I don't have to, you know, be on the edge of my seat waiting. I'm going to get the whole thing. But, you know, they like this sort of, like, massive story that's, keeping everyone going and sort of the excitement of it, you know, psychologists actually refer to um, something I, I hate to laugh about this, but a uh, violence porn, mm. because there is, there is an element of it's that same kind of allure. We all sort of, I mean, we all get sort of sucked in. There's something very dramatic about it. It raises our pulse, right? Even if we don't want to admit it, like there's sort of an excitement level in this, um, once something comes up, and uh as human beings we're you know we're wired to you know for our our our, our pulse to race and and there 's a certain amount of appeal in that, whether we think about it or not, and sometimes we need to check our own things and you know our own and drives and realize like oh you know i don 't really need to know i 'm not getting that much out of this but i 'm in a perverse way enjoying it and maybe mm-hmm. i do need to turn it off so you know some of the audience
0: needs to do that yeah but i it's think really we're, we're all we're all just as at fault i think you know the ones when when it's you know our people used to complain about gawker or the website because they thought it was mean mm-hmm. and vicious and so on and my response was well but you read it you're by clicking on that link you are you are condoning right. it um uh and i feel like it's the same thing with um and i you know i, I definitely make a, a very conscious effort not to not to click on you know I don't go to the daily mail with these things and and I don't you know we don't have cable so but we don't turn on exactly c- but I know. want to be
1: clear I mean I mean, I don't really think it's the the viewers and readers who are driving it it's um well you know, it's, it's the a media bit of you do a very responsible thing of programming which can get us the answers and send teams out digging for us for this where they can give a few hours a day where they do not make it this massive sort no, but of I think
0: that the there 's a reason the reason they put it on is because people are watching it too, so I, I do think that we yeah, all yeah, yeah you know, it's all it 's a little bit of both moving moving on to to um, to yeah. some of the things that have happened since columbine one, one of the things that i um, I really have a, an incredibly difficult time with, um, and I think most people do there's a There's a tweet that 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 gets sent out uh, retweeted every single time um, uh, there's a mass shooting in the u s and it's something to the effect of you know once Americans were okay with um, twenty seven kids being killed at Sandy Hook, um, the gun debate was over and and I'm curious what you think about that because that I truly do believe that I mean that to me was one of the most gruesome disgusting vile things i've ever seen in a modern society that people were that the nra and and other groups seem to defend gun rights still after that and it didn't seem like any anything changed um uh, or was going to change why do you think that sandy hook wasn't the thing that changed everything
1: You know, yeah, that that just makes me so so incredibly sad. It's hard to even um, talk about. I I think there are a couple things. You know, I I need to go back and look at this because I actually just um, saw a commentator about 30 minutes before we went on talk about that. And I want to go recheck this history, um, but he said that the Obama administration really made a, a big tactical mistake in that because they decided they really wanted to study it and do it right and take three months to, you know, come up with a plan. And, um, and you know, so in their mind, they were doing the right thing. But what that really did was wait way too long and wait till uh, the oxygen was out of it and that if they had done something like that week or you know within you know 10 days or something uh, they had a really a real chance because uh, people were enraged and people were ready to push forward and sort of you know the the overwhelming majorities who feel that a lot of these things should be done were you know demanding to be heard uh, But the air goes out of that relatively quickly. Um, And I I think he's right. I think that they didn't realize that at the time because I think they felt like this was such a moment. Let's do it right. And we do have some time. And I think they miscalculated. Um, So I do see some hope. I think, you know, we do have that chance after – all these horrible things, and as much as part of my brain is, is agreeing with you and thinking that by falling into that sort of self-defeatist uh, attitude, we kind of screw ourselves, and we have to just say, like, well, you know, then we've just got to learn a lesson from this time. And 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 frankly, some of those people in Congress just have to have a backbone. I um, mean, I mean of both parties, because I mean I would wager that on you know, the Republican side too, a hell of a lot of those people if they voted their conscience that these bills would pass overwhelmingly. But they're in fear of their uh particularly getting primaried on the right of certain, you know, base voters. But all these people, you know, and then some democrat democrats and sort of borderline districts, a lot of these people have to um show some backbone and do the right thing, uh, and decide even if it means this is the end of my career in Congress, you know maybe it's worth it. Um, and that may be a naive thing to say, but you know at some point you have to. If you wanted to become elected as senator or a congressman, uh, you know now is maybe the time. Like this is the reason you did it. So maybe stick your neck out for something that matters. Um, so I, you know I I think one of these times you know we can still we can still do it as it gets more these get more and more outrageous.
0: When you look at the um, at the 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 killers of these, you know, the biggest mass shootings since the, since ninety nine, really, or since ninety one, I guess you could say, Killing Texas, um, uh, they mm-hmm. all seem to have. It doesn't seem like it seems like there are moments where we are learning a little bit about the type of person. Um, it doesn't seem like we've had, um, you know, that that have there been. Specific personality types like Columbine? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And ha- have we started yeah, so to learn anything? I was anything? really
1: actually surprised. So, um, you know, Newsweek asked me after one of these horrors, I think it was the Aurora shooting, um, asked me to do a piece on the different types of killers. And I said, well, you know, I know from the FBI that there's no single profile, but, um, you know, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's five or ten. And so let me see if I can come back to you on that and do something. So, you know, I went to the FBI people and, and a lot of these experts and uh, was shocked to discover there are three. You know, and if you, if, you, if you consider terrorism would be a fourth, but that's a whole different thing. But, you know, if we're talking about the, the sort of people who are doing it for their own agenda, um, there are, of course, outliers, but nearly all of them fall into one of three categories, which is kind of shocking and is a very manageable, understandable number. And um, they're pretty simple, and actually, you know, Columbine was two of the three. Um, But the most common by far is the angry depressives, and I'll tell you what, all three, and then we can go into them a little more if you want. So angry depressives is by far the most common. Second most common is deeply mentally ill, and I'm talking about out of touch with the reality. And these are usually uh, schizophrenia, sometimes paranoid schizophrenia or different variations, but really whether it's hearing voices or just not really in touch with reality. Um, and you've got people like Virginia Tech, Gabby Giffords, actually the assassination of Reagan. That guy Hinckley is actually out now because he's under treatment. Um, so that's type number two. And then the third, which is by far the least common, um, is psychopaths. Um,
0: and like those are genuine people who, psychopaths.
1: Yes, genuine psychopaths, have no empathy. Um, and, that, you know, that was Eric Harris from uh, Columbine was that type, Dylan Klebold from Columbine was the angry depressive. Now, now, by the way, so in this case, we don't, you know, we don't know whether this person fits in. And, you know, by the way, then there's some other outliers. There's sometimes brain tumors or other actual physical uh, brain Organic problems can can lead to situations, uh, but those are very, very rare um, anyway so the three you know it's way too early to tell, but i'm kind of surprised that i've been hearing more and more um, experts like FBI profilers advance the possibility that this may well have been a psychopath um, now I, w- I wanted to say that that's one possibility and one thing that we should be exploring, but it's rare rather rare, and this person is showing some you know there's some bits of that, so that's a thing to explore, which usually i say that's eh, it's highly unlikely that it will be in that one, but this time it's like okay that's that should be in the mix It's something that we're thinking about
0: so do you um do, do, you've been covering this stuff for so long and know so much about it, and I'm sure it's something you think about a lot do you do you Take precautions. Do you worry <clears throat> when you go to the movie theater? Do you not go to the movie theater anymore? What's no, that's really how, how has it affected you personally? Well, that's pretty interesting. Um,
1: you know, I, I don't take precautions like that. What I do, what I did do very early on was sort of learn what to do,
0: and sort of really think that. Through in, um, in the event of a, you're in a place that there is a shooting, you're saying?
1: Yeah, in the event um, of is, one. And, you know, I also alerted family members. And it actually took God, many years, until this was like the last two or three years, really, I've seen this push for this run-hide fight. Um, so what is it that you're supposed to do? Should, and if, you, if you go to my site or you just Google run-hide fight, uh, TSA and several other great uh, have great videos, like two or three minute videos that sort of outline. And I mean, that's the strategy. And those are three separate things to do in that order. So, so it's what can you walk run, us through? What, by what all it? means, like 90% more than 90% of the time, your best option is run, way more than 90%. Run, run like hell, whatever the sound of gunfire, run away from it. And sometimes it's confusing because if Rick is saying shots or so forth, you're not sure where the gunfire is coming from. Take your best guess and run. And then if, you know, you get new information, oh, maybe it's coming from that direction, turn around and run the other way. But anyway, run is run, run, run. Uh, if running is impossible, for instance, you're in a building, you're sort of trapped um, in a room there's nowhere to go, then hide is, is number two. Um, and number three, only if that fails, uh, in, for instance, when the then person comes through the door, is then is a last-ditch effort uh, fight. Um, and there's great scenarios in this video of like how to do things. Like, and if you think fighting is impossible, they show ways, especially when there is a barrier like a doorway where you've barricaded your, yourself in a classroom, which is you know fairly common scenario. This type of thing. Um, as he comes through, the the door becomes a delay, and you can see these great things if somebody picks up. Um, one person picks up a fire extinguisher, somebody else grabs a scissors, or whatever kind of makeshift weapons there are, anything that can be like a piece of a shard of glass or anything of vase, um, and then sort of like surround the doorway so as he 's delayed coming through you all hit him at the same time and can perhaps do something but yeah it 's run. I, I remember like more than like fifteen years ago in the early days. Unfortunately, it took a long time to sort of figure for the you know the, the general authorities to figure this out, and they were kind of telling people the wrong thing. They were you know talking about hiding, you know, getting down, and I kept like talking to experts about like, well, that's what the kids did at Columbine who died, and nearly all the experts who I was talking to were saying like, yeah, what I tell my kids and what I would tell is run like crazy. Um, and it took a while. I, you know, I think for whatever reasons, the schools, they wanted discipline. They wanted, you know, somebody in control and not just like run for your life all run away. Um, but it took a while to figure out, like, yeah, run is the thing you should be doing. And now that has sort of become doctrine and it's taken all this time. But, yeah, I've been telling my uh, siblings with young nieces and nephews like 15 years ago, like, here's what you need to tell your kids to do. Um, and I'm glad that, the, you know, the whole public has the benefit of that. But I would advise anyone who has not watched one of those videos, do that today. And, you know, I don't feel like by going to a concert or going to an ambulance, like there's, you know, watching your back, like, what's that going to do if somebody's opening a shoot at you? You're going to be taken by surprise. So the only thing you can really do is have yourself sort of trained in some way and gone through the scenarios and know exactly what to do when the surprise
0: comes. So two last questions for you um, before we wrap up um, and uh, both a little different. But um, so the first question I have is, um, do you think that this issue is a that, you know, I remember watching Bowling for Columbine and it clicked for me. And I do truly believe that that the the reason most people do want guns and have guns is fear. Um, Do you Mm -hmm. think that that that? That it that that is really what it comes down to. That a lot of this is about fear, and that you know, you know, you see these moments where um, uh, every time there's there's a big mass shooting, the the sales of guns shoot well, up five thousand mm-hmm. percent, and so on and so forth. Do you think that the people who are um, so adamant about about keeping guns um, majority? I know that you know we have hunters, we have people who. Uh, you know, live in the wilderness, and it's important, and so on and so forth. But, but these, you know, that it's about the, the fear of what could happen to them.
1: Well, I, I don't really think so. Although, you know, I gotta say that, like, I'm not a gun owner, and my specialty is not sort of like knowing that population as well. I have some, mm-hmm. I have some friends and family who are. I, I, I do think that more of it is about. It seems to be about, you know, a sense of sport and just enjoying these things. And then, I mean, maybe fear in a way, but also this kind of weird independence, you know, this whole, you know, frontier American ideal of that, like, you know, I could take care of myself if I wanted to. And maybe we're saying the same thing, but if I ever needed to, I'm armed and, like, I can protect my family. Um, I just don't, uh, when I talk to these people, I don't really sense fear that they're actually afraid that something is going to happen is more sort of a a proactive, like, I'm going to be like, you know, like the old style, like necessarily the provider, like the dad, but more like the protector type paternalistic idea that, and just enjoying using them and don't want, not wanting anybody to tell you otherwise. Those seem to me like bigger drivers, but yeah, but I, I need to confess that, you know, I'm not an expert on that, uh, and, you know, I haven't done my due diligence in the field nearly as much on that population. Mm. So I might be uh, I might be miscalling those, those shots a little.
0: All right. So so last question. Um, you know, whenever these things happen, I always think, well, what is it that I can do? Um, and I'm sure yeah. you get that question from a lot of people. What, what is the advice that you give people that want to do something that to, to try to help the issue, um, raise awareness, protect people? What, what do you tell them that they can do?
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, I I I think there's the you know th- there's not a lot, um, you know, the general people can do in certain areas. But, you know, sort of that we have is like publicizing these things. But there's a couple things they can do. I mean, one obviously is become part of the the push for sensible gun uh, safety measures, calling your congressman, going to rallies or whatever, and and saying, hey, we're not going to put up with this anymore. But you know, there, there's something in a completely un in a different vein uh, that they can do that I'll tell you that um, it's not about stopping them, but is about victims and survivors. And I'll tell you the, I've talked to and met with and spent a lot of time with survivors of so many of these things that I've studied with groups that uh, get brought into groups that study uh, after uh, Virginia Tech and the Norway shooting and lots of people, uh, in-depth with these people. And, and the complaint is, always some version of the same thing, is, which is a version of don't rush our healing. And what I mean by that is people who've never thought they're rushing the healing do. So six months from now, a year from now, or even two years from now, you're going to hear stories about some of these people. And well, first of all, some of the stories in the not too distant future are going to be these great overcoming stories and how this person has put them behind this behind them. Well, I'll, I'll put another way. It's actually, um, I think the five year anniversary from Columbine, some of the people who I interviewed, some of the students said there was a narr- narrative developing among the media who were coming out to do the story that, like, oh, so many of these kids have overcome it. And that became sort of the thing of, like, oh, they've really put it behind them. And then some kids, it wasn't at all behind them, were feeling like, Mm ugh, like, I don't even want to be a part of that. You know, I don't want to have to pretend and, and feeling this need. But long before five years, That idea starts to come through, and and we call it compassion fatigue, um, and a lot of different names where people start souring on, like, why are these people still whining about it? And you may think right now, like, oh, I would never do that. Give it a year or six months and see how sometimes some of these stories among people, you know, you may be like, oh God, really? They're still um, that happened a year ago. Well, you know, you know, they need to get on with their lives, or um, or just you know, well-meaning things like you know, talking about how like, oh, what can we do to help these people get on with it or get them closure? They hate that goddamn word closure. That becomes the most hated word of any survivor because they fee- they hear that as get over it, done with it. Like when, what is the sort of expiration date on their grief that they're supposed to be done and have it closed off? And their their thought is like, never. I am like this is never going to be closed. So in a hundred different ways and I'm not conveying nearly as well as I should, we all, most of us participate in it out of this well-meaning, you know, wanting to help them, help them get over it and get past it. And, um, we want them to get past it way before, before they're ready, years before. And I'll give you one more example and then shut up on it. Like a, the day two headline of the Denver Post after Columbine, so this is like 36 hours after. Well, this banner heading across the full top of the front page, healing begins. And every... Pastor, mental health worker, anybody who's worked with victims, grief counselors is just 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 you know it was a face plant down, and it was like. Healing doesn't begin a day and a half after. They're not even beginning their grief. They're still in shock. Like you know, healing might start beginning for these people in six months or something. And already they were rushing to like, oh, we're getting you past it. And it's this this feeling of we want to help you heal and get over it. And they hear they hear that as like, what's taking you so long? And so whether you deal with these people one on one or you're blow posting on Twitter or or some site somebody's reading that who's probably connected and is going to hear in a thousand different ways messages from you of like hurry up and get over it and they need to take two or three or 10 times as long as you think they need and they're all different so some people are going to be healed as fast as you want or hope they will and others won't and everybody's different and they just they want to do it at their own pace and they don't want to be feeling this pressure from all of us to get on with it and they really really do it's a, it is a gigantic thing um, so that's what you know that's what you can do as a participant is not not participate in that feeling of of you know and, sort of rushing their healing
0: and if you want to you know make your voice heard or you know is it best to give congress people money that that aren't that are against this or they're against guns or, the, or at least, you know, semi-automatic weapons? I would or, think so. You know, the other like, thing is
1: to do, you know, you can actually vote on it. You know, one of the biggest problems with getting this stuff passed is, it figures something like four or five times as much. So uh, even though more people want this sort of, leg- large majorities want, you know, legislation to, uh, for gun safety most of the people who want gun safety measures don't vote on it as a as a primary voting thing and and people who do uh, who are against any kind of new measures uh tend to vote on it as a single issue and so you you know you know you know you're running for Congress
0: what do you mean they don't vote on and it and yeah
1: 1% just, you know most of the people are with you but only 1% of them is going to you know vote for you do and like is it that they yeah, don't even if it's oh, only 5 or 10% got it. of yeah yeah, of gun rights, people are going to vote against you. You don't want even a moderately close election. That could be the the balance. So, yeah, at some point you have to like, we put our you know votes where our mouth is, and actually not just say we support these things, but actually vote on it.
0: Yeah, I think that that's um, that could be said about a lot of issues in this country. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate you taking the time um, to uh, to answer these questions. And, you know, uh, once again, under not the greatest circumstances. Um, uh, and um, thank you for writing such an incredible book. I urge everyone to go and thank read it. It is fascinating, um, even almost 20 years later. Um, and, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Yeah, thanks. This is a great interview. I, I appreciate interviewers actually sort of want to go into depth in these and not, you know, get the... Uh, the 15 second soundbite answers, which I don't I, well. Really, I don't the, 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 it's the beauty of that. the
0: podcast. I just I wish we didn't have to go into such depth on some of these some of these stories. But uh, but it, it's really great I to know, hear right. your, your input. So thank you. All right, thanks, Nick. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks to my guest, Dave Cullen. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work and my editors at Vanity Fair. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, ProFlowers. I'll see you all next week.